We all know people who exaggerate, or take liberty with the facts, or know how to bluff their way through a topic they know nothing about. There are times that we might even be that person. After all, our memory isn't perfect, and we do the best we can to remember things as they happened. But there are some people who don't have that same desire for truth. They create their own truth, and they're set on convincing you that you're the one that's wrong. There's a term for it: gaslighting. Our question this episode: What do we do when someone is clearly and repeatedly lying to us? Happy New Year! Welcome to episode 18 of How Can I Say This, where we talk about how to find the right words when words escape us. I'm your host Beth Bilo. Thank you so much for joining me. This episode looks at an intriguing question about how to handle a situation where the truth is being manipulated. I also close by offering you a New Year's invitation designed to stretch your communication capacity in 2019. Let's start with our listener question. This was submitted through the online form by an online listener who wrote. I have a question regarding a family relationship. I would like to know how to deal with gaslighting from a member of my own family, a cousin. She lies to me many times, and then she denies the comment, saying that I am the one not saying the truth. Let's start by defining the term gaslighting. I wasn't familiar with it until a few years ago, when the word made its way into various articles that attempted to analyze what was happening politically in the United States. It comes from the 1938 Patrick Hamilton play *Gaslight*, which was adapted for film in 1940 and 1944. The plot centers around a man who, through gradual changes in their home environment, tries to convince his wife that she is insane. Among other things, he dims the gas lights in their home and then persuades his wife that she is imagining that the lights are getting dimmer. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, gaslighting means to manipulate someone by psychological means into doubting their own sanity. It is a form of emotional abuse and psychological manipulation that can be used on an individual or a specific group. It shows up as lying, misdirection, contradictions, cutting off someone from other resources of information, questioning the other person's worth or truth, and generally undermining someone's thought processes such that they aren't able to trust their memories or their perception of reality. Since I'm a coach and not a psychologist or psychiatrist, I had to do some additional research about strategies for responding to gaslighters. And I don't know if they're referred to as gaslighters, but for simplicity's sake, that's the term I'm going to use. And I'll do my best to offer ideas for how you can put those strategies that I read about into practice. Please consider my thoughts with the understanding that I am speaking without knowing the details of the listener's relationship and from a generic perspective. Some situations benefit most from speaking directly and openly with a therapist or another mental health professional, and I trust that anyone listening will be able to discern if and when that's a necessary next step. First off, this is one of those times when putting a label on the behavior is probably helpful. In a past episode of How Can I Say This, I had a conversation in which we explored the idea that saying that someone was being passive aggressive might put everything into a negative light and lead to confirmation bias. That is, only seeing evidence that confirms one's already held beliefs and ignoring that which contradicts it 
in that process, you might be blocking, in the process of labeling it, you might be blocking reconciliation opportunities. But gaslighting is on a different level, since it directly challenges your perception of reality, and without naming it, it can lead to long-term damage. One tip I read backs up what I've offered about other situations where one person is exercising power over or instilling fear in another. That advice is that it's helpful to consider what's at the root of the dysfunctional behavior. In almost all instances, it's fear. The person who's doing the gaslighting, in the listener's case, their cousin, might be afraid of being wrong or of their authority being threatened. They might be suffering from deep insecurity and their manipulation of the truth is a way of being in control and reasserting their superiority. I read many references to the relationship between narcissism and gaslighting, so there may be another layer of psychological complexity that is underneath the presenting behavior. This is work you do on your own by thinking about what you know about the gaslighter and asking, what are they afraid of? By remembering that the root of their behavior is, in part, fear, it might help you to be calmer and more in control when confronted with their lies. It's important to remember that their gaslighting isn't a reflection on you and your self-worth and sanity. It's a reflection of theirs. When faced with their lies, it's probably your instinct to lash out, defend yourself, and even become emotional. Try to control any of those impulses. That just feeds into their need for a reaction and to feel like they have power over you. As writer Ariel Levy puts it, remain defiant and trust your version of reality. I suggest doing that in a calm, firm manner that shows that you are rooted in the truth. You might say, that's not how I remember it. This is what happened. And it's odd that we don't see it the same way. Or, that's interesting because that's different than what I remember. There's no point in arguing or trying to change the gaslighter's mind. Levy offers that one key to her own recovery from a childhood of gaslighting was to accept that there will never be any responsibility taken for the behavior. The other person will never concede or admit they're wrong. When you stop trying to reason with them, you're more likely to be able to remain calm and not absorb the stories that they're making up. Debate will lead to denials, which only adds fuel to their fire. Don't take the bait. If you see a pattern to the types of lies the gaslighter is telling, start to keep a written record of what you know to be the truth. Your notes might include logistics like who was in the room, when something happened, or where it happened. They might record promises made or arguments or specific conversations. These notes aren't necessarily meant to be shared, but rather serve as a reality check for you when you sense that you're being lied to or manipulated. They can help you hold your ground and keep a grip on your sanity. This is all assuming that the gaslighter is manipulating reality in a malicious and seemingly intentional manner. Gaslighting is a pattern of behavior, not a one-off occurrence. What if you feel like the person doesn't really know that that's what they're doing? Because our memories aren't always reliable, there is a chance that they honestly don't realize that they are not telling the truth. If it feels safe and you have an opening, and this is important, you can remain unattached to whether it results in anything changing, 
you might try to initiate a conversation about it. You could open with, it's confusing to me why we have such different recollections of what happened. Would you tell me more about what you remember? This might result in a dead end, in which case, at least you tried. Or it might reveal that the other person sincerely didn't realize they were sharing a false or faulty memory. Then you can have an honest dialogue about it and start to repair trust in the relationship. Finally, if you find that detaching, being calm, holding your ground, and trying to see the other person as having a problem that has nothing to do with you, if none of those things support you in being in relationship with that person, it might be time to limit or entirely cut off your contact with them. Disengage as much as you possibly can and decide that they aren't someone that you want to give any power to. I say this recognizing that in the case of the listener, this person is family. It may not be possible to completely cut them out of your life. The best you might be able to do is not encourage conversation with her by always making sure that you're talking in a group or changing the subject when you sense that the gaslighting is starting. Consider if there's another family member with whom you could form an alliance, not to gang up on the cousin or to try to turn others against them, but rather to have someone who knows about the situation and can support you either during or after an interaction with your relative. They might help reinforce the truth during a conversation by saying very directly, yes, that's what I remember too. Or they might simply be someone with whom you can express your frustration and who can help you stay focused on reality. Just having someone around who can say, no, it's not you and you're not crazy, might help you to breathe through the experience and not give your cousin any more power or more attention than is absolutely necessary to keep the family peace. On the webpage for this episode on HowCanIsayThis.com, you'll find some of the articles and sites that I referenced in putting together a response to the listener's question. I hope between what I've offered here and those links, you'll find ample information to support you in navigating anyone who's gaslighting you. Best wishes, my listener friend, in finding a way to be in a healthy relationship with your cousin. The new year is always an opportunity to look at our lives with a fresh lens, and that includes how we are showing up in the world and what kinds of relationships we want to nurture. The quality of our communication plays a huge role in how we are perceived and the influence that we have over our future. While much of this podcast in the past has been focused on our external communication and how we relate to others, I'm taking this opportunity to challenge you to focus on your internal communication for at least part of 2019. It's amazing how being aware of our silent self-talk can directly influence how we talk with others. I'm going to share with you one thing that you can do to start to have a healthier relationship with your self-talk. Drumroll, please. The first, most important thing you can do is to notice your self-talk in the first place. That might sound obvious, but sometimes we don't even realize how much of a tape loop we have playing in our heads, let alone how much that tape loop determines our mood, our sense of self-worth, and ultimately, our choices. A few years ago, I discovered that doing morning pages, as suggested by Julia Cameron in The Artist's Way, helped to raise my awareness of my self-talk. I'd spend the first page and a half of the three pages that she recommends writing down all of the unhealthy mind chatter that was occupying my thoughts at that moment. And then I'd spend the remaining page and a half writing a more loving response to it. 
This exercise turned up the volume just a little bit on my self-talk and helped me to see it as something that I could control. Then, as needed, I had the resources and the wherewithal to turn the volume down when my self-talk wasn't productive. Do whatever it takes for you to raise your awareness of the patterns of your self-talk. Do morning pages. Journal. Say what you're thinking aloud to see how it sounds when it's given full voice. Or do some silent reflection to give yourself space for the thoughts to bounce around and evolve. It's important to hold the thoughts without judgment. Otherwise, you end up with unhealthy self-talk about your unhealthy (laughs) self-talk. Just start by noticing. Then determine if the thoughts are healthy and productive or unhealthy and unproductive. For example, if you're thinking, I'm such a blob, I can't believe I've let myself gain so much weight, which is clearly unhealthy and unproductive, and probably something many of us have thought at one point or another in our lives, you can respond to that with, I would love to have more energy, and there's something I can do to make that happen. Go ahead and have the unhealthy thought. This isn't about wiping them out altogether. It's about having that thought without judgment and following it up with a statement that feels like it can move you forward towards what you want. And this takes practice. It's not going to happen overnight. And in some cases, it might be enough to notice the unhealthy thought and ask yourself, is that really true? Is there actual evidence that what you've thought is reality? Or is it an assumption or a fear? Or is it something that's been projected onto you by another person, a story absorbed from your family or friends, or maybe even the person that is gaslighting you? (laughs) If you can look at it objectively, you might be able to pinpoint the source of the thought and then directly challenge it. This puts you back in the driver's seat rather than ceding control to what some people call your uncontrollable, fear-based monkey mind. I share this with you not because I've mastered my own self-talk, but because it's good for me to remind myself of it and realize that it's a lifelong work in progress. It also reminds me and us of the connection between how I communicate with myself and how I communicate with others. If I find myself being impatient, sullen, or negative with others, then there's a good chance I'm being that way with myself. Paying close attention to our self-talk is an inside-out approach to being in healthier relationships with others. Well, that's a wrap for our first episode of 2019. I hope you found this time valuable and taken away useful information. I'm excited for the episodes in the coming months, including a conversation I'll be having with writer and activist, and if I'm really honest, one of my heroes, Parker Palmer as well as new and returning guests who will respond to your questions and offer us guidance for being more confident in our communication and relationships. If you haven't already, I encourage you to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Did you know that you can submit a question for the podcast just as this episode featured? I welcome your questions for inclusion in a future episode. You'll find the online submission form at howcanisaythis.com. You can also leave a text or a voicemail 24-7 at 562-704-6643. You'll find that number on the Submit a Question page on the website. And lastly, you can send me your question directly to beth at howcanisaythis.com. No matter how you submit the question, whether it's through the website, email, or even a voicemail, 
you have the choice to be completely anonymous. You know what would be a fabulous New Year's gift to me and others who might find this podcast? Tell us what you think of How Can I Say This by sharing it, leaving a rating, or writing a review. You can find links that tell you how to subscribe and leave a review in the footer of any page at HowCanISayThis.com. I also welcome your feedback and questions through the contact form on the website. I'd appreciate hearing from you about what you think of the podcast and what you'd like to see talked about in future episodes. This is Beth Bilo, and you've been listening to How Can I Say This? Our podcast producer is Paul Messing, and our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thank you so much for joining me today. I wish you a wonderful and prosperous and happy new year. And I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously. Mm-hmm.